number of years ago, I was in Paris, just walking around, and I came upon an artist who had set up his drawing stand in this little patio off to the side of the street. And I, I bet I watched him for 20 minutes. And he was drawing this, this scene, this, this picture of, of an old man sitting at a table, staring into the flame of a candle. And the way he had composed his picture, your eye was drawn immediately to the white hot center of the flame. That was the, the focal point of the whole picture. But, but as I stood there and watched him draw, first working in general shapes, he, you know, he drew the man and the table and the wall, the background. And then he started adding more detail. He drew the shadow on the wall and the shadow on the table and the light on the man's face. But as I watched him work, I realized that even though, even though the, the candle flame was the, the, set, the focal point of the picture, he never actually drew it. Because how do you draw? I mean, if you look at a candle flame in real life, it, it's, it's the purest white. And, and he was working with pencil, and you know, how, how, do you draw, how do you draw that? He can't do it. And so I watched as he drew everything but the flame everything around it. He drew everything in the picture except for the one thing that he was trying to show us. Because he knew that our minds would fill in the, the missing detail better than he could draw it. And the connection I made that day was that this artist and this drawing of the old man was maybe a perfect model to use in my work as a magician because I can't show you real magic. That's, that's not how it works. I don't have magic powers. All of these impossible things that I do are just tricks. I mean, obviously they are just tricks. I don't have to tell you. But the question is, how can I show you real magic? And just to be clear, that's what I'm aiming for. I'm trying to share the experience of magic, not of a puzzle, not of a joke, not just a shock or a jolt of surprise. I, I want to enchant them. I want the audience to leave feeling as though they'd encountered something wonderful and wondrous and, and magical. But, but how can I do that? If I can't do real magic, how can I possibly show it to you? And that day in Paris, I realized that the answer is not to try. If you hold up anything to an audience and say, here, look, this is real, actual magic, they are going to say to themselves, uh, no, it's, <laughs> it's probably not. But if I can just lead them far enough toward the experience I want them to have, if I can draw everything but the flame, so to speak, I'm pretty sure that the audience can then find it on their own. And in that act of finding, of discovery on their own, the audience will receive far more than I could ever give them directly. Hi everyone, my name is Nate Staniforth. Welcome to episode one. So then I started to be interested in these things that mystified people. There it is, that's the magic part. A classical trick of magic. And I knew right then and there that I was being called to be a magician. Thank you very much once again, everybody, for viewing in. In this episode, we'll talk about how this concept of everything but the flame can improve the strength and the clarity of your performances. But before we get there, because this is the first episode, I want to tell you where we're headed with this series as a whole. This is a podcast about becoming a better magician. And just to cut straight to the heart of the issue here at the beginning, the thesis of this show, the foundational conviction, 
is that you become a better magician by becoming a better artist. In magic, certainly, and maybe in all of the arts, becoming technically skillful is not easy, but it is straightforward. You practice, and then you practice some more, and then after a while, you can do a perfect classic pass or the major scale on the guitar or whatever it is. Technique is important, but the real question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to share? What are you going to say? So this is a podcast for magicians who want to become better artists. What does that mean? In each episode, it will be my job to raise a question or explore an element of our craft that pushes us beyond technique into, into a wider conversation about art, about creativity, about creation and imagination. The goal is to present one idea per episode that you can consider for use in your own work. Who am I? My name is Nate Staniforth. I've been a working magician since I was 22. This is the only job I've ever had. I was trying to figure it out the other day. I've done something like 2,500 performances for audiences around the world since I began, which for some of you is nothing. Copperfield does 600 shows a year. But for me, the pursuit of excellence as a magician has been the major effort of my life so far. But this is not about me, because in this episode, we're talking about an issue that matters to all magicians, but doesn't receive enough attention. Which brings us back to Paris, and the drawing of the old man, and the candle, and what all of this can teach us about our work in magic. Maybe the best way to talk about this is to step back for a wider question to you, because this is actually what we're talking about. How do you want the audience to think about the magic you're doing? Do you want them to think of your work as tricks, as puzzles, as a bit of lighthearted fun entertainment, or as real actual magic? What do you want the audience to think? What are you doing? What are you claiming to do? Who are you claiming to be? Here's why it matters. Let's say you perform a great show. Home run, standing ovation. There's a line of people waiting for an hour to take a picture with you and tell you how much they enjoyed the show. Victory, total victory. On the car ride home from the theater, the audience is going to have a conversation about your show. And unless... Here it is. Unless you give them a different framework with which they can think about the show, the question they are going to end up asking themselves is, was that real? And the problem with this question is that there are two possible answers and neither of them are good for you. The first answer, and the most likely option, is that most of the audience is going to decide very quickly that, no, it wasn't real. As, as amazing as it was, that magician probably didn't have actual supernatural powers. Those were probably just tricks. I don't know how they worked exactly, but probably the magician just did something when we weren't looking. Great, that's settled. Let's go get snow cones. An audience at a magic show 
has this easy escape. And, and this drives me crazy. I've been thinking for years about how to get around this. They have this intellectual parachute and they can just pull the ripcord at any time to immediately end the sense of ontological freefall that comes with astonishment and, and land them safely back down on the ground of their own certainty. And, and it's this. This is the parachute. The audience can watch my show and they can be amazed by all of it. But at any time, they can just throw up their hands and say, I don't know, he just did something. It was all just fake. And for them, that's the end of it. Then they can stop thinking about the show. They've just disarmed it. It's done. It's gone. They don't need to know the details of the methods. The moment they can plausibly convince themselves that it was all fake, it's all over. So for them, the show ends up being a pretty weak experience. They may have been surprised in the moment, but if they can dismiss the entire show with the word fake, you know, I'm not leaving much of an impact on them. But what if they decide it's real? Because that's the other answer they could give as they're driving home from your show talking about the magic. What if, what if they decide... That was real supernatural magic we saw. I, I think that's even worse. I remember I was doing a show in Lincoln, Nebraska. And, and, and by the way, let me just say, I know every magician has a story like this. Uh, this is something that happens to everybody. But here's one of the instances when it happened to me. I was doing a mind reading effect and, and I just happened to reveal the name of someone's baby daughter. And there's no way I should have been able to know that name. But the man sitting in the audience didn't take it as like this positive, amazing experience. He just, he lost it. He got up and he started shouting and his wife tried to calm him down and he stormed up the aisle the whole while he's shouting at me uh, about, you know, how could you have known that? What are you doing? What is this? Is this witchcraft? Is this supernatural? And, and it, this wasn't like, it, this wasn't the sort of situation where someone goes crazy and it makes the show feel more amazing. This was just awkward. This was just sad. This was just, it was, it was uncomfortable for everyone. And eventually his wife talked him back down into his seat. And he sat there for the rest of the show glowering at me. But I remember feeling like I'd made a terrible mistake. I wasn't trying to convince him that I had magic powers, but that's how it had come across. And, and two issues. One, I think it's evil to use magic tricks to convince people that you're more powerful than you are. But I, it's also terrible theater. There's no drama to it. There's no power to it. There's no impact. If you're saying to the audience, here, this is real, and the audience says, okay, there's no tension. There's no conflict or resolution. You might give them a strong experience in the moment. But after the moment fades and they've had a chance to think about it, most of them are going to realize that it wasn't real, that it must have been a trick. And they're going to feel either disappointed or sheepish that they believed it in the first place. So what began as a larger-than-life, intense experience will shrink and diminish and suck all of the power out of your show. So what do you do? It's a question of framing, really. How can you frame your magic to make it as strong as possible and as meaningful as possible? Because I think it's safe to say that if an audience can dismiss your entire act as fake, 
that they're not deriving a great deal of meaning from it. And I think all of us want to do work that matters, even in a small way. Before I go on, I want to just acknowledge that I am not the first magician to consider this problem, and I'm not the first magician to find a solution. And ultimately, you'll have to answer it for yourself. So this is a question that matters to everyone. And the following is a solution that has mattered to me. Take it or leave it, or best of all, make it better in your own way. But here it is. Magic is fiction. Magic as fiction. That's what I tell the audience. That's how I want them to see me and my work. It's a simple solution that solves every one of my problems. Because when you read a good book or watch a great film, you forget entirely that you're reading a book or watching a film. It feels real. It feels immediate. It feels visceral and wild and potent and dangerous and, and alluring. It draws you in completely. You enter the world of the book or the world of the movie, and for an hour or two, anything can happen. Presenting magic as fiction allows it to feel real in the moment. Because just like a novel or a film, you draw the audience into the world of the show. But you do so in a way that reveals that you're not trying to convince them that you have magic powers. You're not trying to deceive them. You're not a charlatan. You're an artist. You're a novelist. You're a filmmaker. Here, you're saying, I made this because I want to share something with you. And when the show is over, the audience still has all of that power and awe and emotional resonance that can come from a good show, but you've taken away their ability to dismiss it as fake. You've already acknowledged that you're not pretending to be a real wizard, so you've beaten them to the punch. Because no one turns off the movie and says, yeah, that was fun, but I don't think those were real pirates, right? No one puts down Harry Potter and says, uh, that was not very believable. It's not the point. It's obviously not the point. And so the audience gets that same sense of, of free fall that comes from seeing something impossible. But now the parachute won't open. Now it can't let them down so gently. You've already taken it away. Now they're just stuck in free fall. So how does this look specifically? In the magic as fiction model, you're presenting magic that feels real in the moment and, and is presented as real in the moment, except that once or twice, maybe between effects, you explicitly state that what you're doing is the result of craftsmanship and artistry and years of practice and not, you know, witchcraft. In, in this model, your, quote, powers have nothing to do with actual magic or mind reading. Your powers are those of any other artist. Careful thought, hard work, attentiveness to the world around you, and to the experience of the audience, which conveniently is all true. That's what you're actually doing. If you help the audience to understand your work in this way and not in any other way, then they can't really accuse you of tricking them because you have nothing to hide. You're using deception in the same way that a novelist uses it or a filmmaker uses it, which is to say you're using it to give them something real and they know it. What do you lose in this model? You do lose the audience believing that you have supernatural powers, but, but this is not actually a loss. This is a great victory because if you try to convince the audience that you have real magic ability, after the show, most of them will realize that you don't, that it was an illusion. 
and then they'll resent you for trying to convince them that you did. What else do you lose? Do you lose the mystery or the astonishment? I don't think so. You'll still have people running from the theater screaming. You'll still have people losing their minds and jumping up and down and hollering when you do something impossible. Because you haven't made the magic less amazing, you've made it more amazing. You've substituted an insubstantial mystery for one that cannot be so easily dismissed. Just a few housekeeping items that I want you to know about before the next episode. As you can see, this is not primarily an interview show. I may include a few conversations along the way, but but mostly think of this as an audio blog, where the first part of each episode is a kind of conversational essay, let's call them. But I'd like the second half of each episode to include as many of you as possible. I know there are magicians with different backgrounds and different experiences who will listen to this show. And if you're listening and have a question or a comment or an idea that could be useful to the discussion, I'd like you to do the following. Record your message on your phone and send it to me as an Instagram audio message. This is probably the easiest way right now. Or you can record it as a voice memo and DM me and I'll I'll send you an email address. But I'd like to include listener comments and questions as a way of opening up the conversation and making the show as useful as I can. So if you have a question about anything I cover here, please record it and send it my way so I can feature it in the next episode. That's at Nate Staniforth, N-A-T-E-S-T-A-N-I-F-O-R-T-H on Instagram. Okay, episode one, we did it. Plan on one episode each week, maybe 20 or 25 minutes. We'll talk through an issue or an idea or a question in magic that you can then go off and consider on your own for the rest of the week. So... If you can find maybe 25 minutes every week to give to this project as you're working out or walking your dog, I can promise to make you glad that you did. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. More from me soon.